Hello and welcome to Make Ideas Reality, the podcast. This is a podcast dedicated to everyday creative heroes making their ideas reality that wouldn't necessarily get their story heard. I hope to inspire you with their stories, give you courage to leave your comfort zone, think big, and be the badass creator you are meant to be. I'm Justin White, aka The Garage Avenger. Let's do this! all day and I'm still not wearing pants just for your information <laughs> I think that's freaking hilarious <laughs> I, you know what it's funny because I, I I went and put a whimsy on and I thought as I was putting on this is not good <laughs> like, this is <laughs> a bad idea <laughs> well I now have to get my my queasy feeling out of the way <laughs> Oh, yeah. well, if we, need to, if we need to shut it down, we can we can shut it down. No worries. Uh, we'll just see how we go, eh? Hello and welcome to episode 13 of Make Ideas Reality, uh, a podcast, I think. Um, <laughs> I have uh, the infamous uh, Andy Berkey on the show today. Now, for those who may have been living under a rock, or new to the maker movement, kind of like myself. Um, Andy Berkey is quite, uh, well, let's say just, we say influential, I don't know about influential, but he's very present in the community. And uh, basically if he posts something about, he just laid a big poop, uh, there'll be 75 comments uh, on that. <laughs> that is true. <laughs> So welcome, Andy. Um, for those people that perhaps by chance, for some weird reason, don't know who you are, um, please introduce yourself. Hey, thanks. I appreciate you having me on for episode 13. The uh, implications of that are not uh, lost on me, by the way. Um, uh, I am Andy Berkey. I am a maker. I'm in my uh, late 50s now, and I've been a maker of some sort or another for uh, for a living for 35 years now, which is pretty crazy to think about. But I just had that thought uh, last week that that I'd, I'm entering my, you know, it, well into my fourth decade of, of making stuff. Um, I came into... Uh, making, especially for a living, uh, through the trades. Uh, I'm a carpenter and cabinet maker, furniture maker, uh, just a maker, and um, and was quite um, fading into old man curmudgeon mode before the maker community found me four or five years ago and reinvigorated, um, reminded me who I am. And that is, I'm a maker and um, I'm very proud of, of who I am. And this community gave, re-gave me the love of making stuff, which I am ever grateful for. And one of the reasons why I cannot give, I try to give back to this community as much as I possibly can. Yeah. Cool. I mean, 
I don't know. Do, I I thought I was being a bit of a maverick having you on on my podcast, but then turns out you've been on like fifty or a hundred of them. So <laughs> then I feel like a bit of a loser. Uh, you are a loser hanging out with me. Believe me. <laughs> um, I wanted to touch on um, your upbringing. Like, did did you have a creative upbringing at all? Yeah, I kind of did because, uh, you know, it was kind of out of necessity. We had to be creative. We, my dad was a preacher, so we didn't have, you know, a, it was, I would say, lower middle class. It wasn't, we weren't starving, but on the other hand, um, you know, we did stuff because we, ourselves, because we had, we needed to, you know, and, and my dad thought that that, you know, it wasn't, uh you wouldn't go buy something if you could make it because that wasn't, you know, showing a good example to everybody around you that, you know, you were being extravagant or whatever. Mm. So um, my parents were, came out of the Mennonite church, which is kind of like Amish, um, which means that, you know, my mom cooked and sewed and um, we, you know, worked on our own cars and we built, um, our own, my dad built a couple of churches. Um, we like not getting contractors and stuff. Like we went over and built them. And, uh, so, you know, it was just always, it wasn't anything, uh, romantic. It was, but it was wicked ingrained in the daily grind of life. And, uh, you know, and then all of a sudden you realize that that's a pretty cool way to, um, to be introduced to a lifestyle. Oh, that's that's pretty full on. I mean, that that's not your standard upbringing. Most American kids wouldn't be brought up in the Mennonite church. So, like, I find you, like, I, when I look at you and I look at what you're posting a lot of the time on social media, that sort of things, like, I see you as, like, a pure creative. Um, I, I don't know if you can feel that but i i feel like you're like one that's like attuned to the world and very unapologetic for who you are um and i just hearing that you come from that background seems very like a big difference from uh from your upbringing um what's been the journey for you um so far to get where you are today considering your 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 upbringing well, I mean, journey is is a spectacular word. I I would say, um, really, growing up in that type of atmosphere, it was pretty locked down, and um, there wasn't, uh, you know, there wasn't art time. You know, we we didn't do that. Um, so part of me, because I was, I believe there's kind of a hardwiring for a creative, you know, mindset. And um, so I became angry, quite frankly. Um, you know, I had to, I was, it was uh, not an option to be in church five to six times a week. Uh, I had to go to a parochial school. By the time I was 18, I was, um, I was lit. I was ready to go. And um, so the, the morning after I graduated from high school, I was cutting a pipe uh, to, on a two and a half ton uh, metal cutting bandsaw in a, in a factory 
And I just did that for four months and immediately bought a ticket to Europe and I was gone for a year uh, traveling through Europe. And I was supposed to be going to school, but I was just running amok. And, uh, and you know, you know, from that to I, I came back to the States and uh, got into the trades and which allowed me another vehicle um, to do more traveling. Um, I was really trying to push myself uh, to get away. I, I guess I was running, quite frankly, running both from my upbringing and from, you know, kind of being just angry at the world. And uh, so I found myself, I literally bought a one-way ticket uh, to Miami and then eventually ended up in the Caribbean where I worked for a total of about six years. And, um, you know, so there was just, uh, I think just a lot of it had to do with running, running hard and doing, pushing the envelope uh, as far as experiences and legalities and, you know, whatever, just doing uh, kind of what angry off the leash 20 year olds do. Um, <clears throat> but I did that well into my thirties and, um, and then eventually uh, hit back to the States and, and uh, settled into a little more of a, of a sane uh, career path. Yeah, so you you say sane career path. What what did you end up doing, uh, sort of on that line of things? Well, I I did. Uh, it was interesting because um, you know sometimes you feel like you're being steered <laughs> by <laughs> the gods or whatever, and um, I I was able to find a uh, a job on a on a federally funded uh, historic restoration project. And um, it didn't last very long, but it gave me a credential um, that helped me get um, other church jobs. And I never thought that I would have uh, been doing work for especially the Catholic Church. Um, but the way that uh, the faiths uh, worked, um, that's, that's what I uh, ended up bumping myself into because I really was at... Um, I channeled that sort of fearlessness that, that I, I <clears throat> had during traveling by taking jobs that no one else would take. So I, I have always said that, you know, I, I've gotten most of the uh, church work that I've gotten because everybody, you know, I was the only stupid one that uh, looked at the job and said, yeah, I'll do that. You know, I can, <laughs> yeah. I can figure it out. Yeah. Cause I, I mean, I've seen a lot of your work. It's, <laughs> It's quite intricate, you know, and a lot of details. And I mean, that type of work day in, day out, you know, is quite taxing. Um, like how long have you been doing that type of work for? The actual Gothic type type yeah. of work that I do? Yeah. Um, I got my first uh, true Gothic, well, not true, you know, neo-Gothic in the States. It's not, it's not a true Gothic like in Europe, but a neo-Gothic style church in 1999 and um and you know i duck in and out of it because of the very reason that you just uh stated is that i i can't do it full-time i don't i have no desire to do that type of work full-time because it's really 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 tiring and uh because it's it's full 
um, you know, I lose sleep and um, I lose hair <laughs> and, you know, it's because you're, you're pulling out every trick in the book um, to try to figure out how uh, these things have been made for, you know, centuries. And, you know, it's, it, it'll push you hard. And, you know, you're one man, you know, doing all that work, whereas back in those days, it was probably hundreds that had yeah. something to do with it, you know? Yeah, they had, they had a definite process. From what I've broken down, that, you know, you would have, you know, your guys that would make the, the wood square, and then they would pass it on down the line, and then those guys would drill holes in it, and then they would pass it down, and then the carvers would get it, you know, and and so you you try to design um, for the tools that you have, the physical capacities, you know. As I get <clears throat> later on in life here, I mean, fifty-eight or whatever I am now is not late in life, but it's l late in a career, you know, and in a physical occupation, I'm late, you know, in my, in my window that I can do stuff all day. And, um, so, you know, that, that comes into play too now, especially, um, the, the church that I'm working on now, you know, I just can't work the 12, 14 hour days that I used to. So, mm -hmm. um, you know, I've got to, I've got to kind of meter myself. But what about, um, like, do you get paid enough to do, what you're doing like do you make a living out of of making all this gothic stuff and and other things you do yeah i do i mean i i do i, I make a living i'm i would be remiss to say if i didn't say that um we benefit greatly from my wife's work uh she you know i i keep uh food on the table and rent paid and then she you know because we spent so much time and the early part of my career, you know, running amok in the Caribbean, you know, we're having to play, play catch up with as far as retirement goes and all that stuff. Um, so she takes care of that. And then, and then I, you know, keep the house afloat, which works out pretty well teamwork wise. Yeah. But, but I've often said the reality of it is if I wanted to really concentrate on the money, um, I would not be, do those types of jobs. I would, I would be, you know, building homes because those are a set up system that um, allows for productivity, right? Yeah. So there's products that are pre-made for you. Um, what I do, what I'm building currently right now is there's no, nothing's pre-made. You, you're literally bringing boards and chemicals into the shop and, you know, it's it's a freak show, mad scientist session for eight hours. Yeah. So, yeah, there's none of that stuff off the shelf, which you can just whack together, you know, with a couple of right. nails, right? Right. Exactly. Yeah. Hmm. Like, did you, you had a business though, didn't you? Like a proper yeah, I did. business. Yeah. Yeah. I, I really tried to to kind of steer down the, the proper, you know, what they tell you you should do as far as being in construction. So I had a, a company that um, had three different uh, levels to it. It had the restoration work, which is what we've been talking about. Uh, I had new construction, which I had a crew of guys that um, uh, I would uh, work with 
um, that we would go, you know, trim new houses. So we'd put in all the kitchen cabinets, staircases, um, doors and windows, all that stuff. <clears throat> yep. And then we also managed apartments, uh, 130 apartments at the, at the top. So, uh, 2008, uh, economic crash or whatever they call it, uh, came through and sort of, uh, I think the business, I, I was so incredibly unhappy, Justin, because it just wasn't who I was. I was trying to be something that I, I just, I'm not. And that is, um, about trying to build a business to make money. Um, I, I just, it, it was a hard, hard thing to let go. But, uh, 2008, I couldn't let it go until 2008, uh, just said, you know what, you are letting go of this because you can't hold on to it anymore. Yeah. So, so basically 2008 happened and what, what happened? Like, did, did you have to lay off all your people or like, what was, did someone buy you up or what? No, I, uh, yeah, I had to, uh, uh, basically let my business partner know, uh, you know, I fired him basically. Um, my employees, I had, I had a total of five employees, six employees that, um, I was able to find them different jobs, <clears throat> which was good. That was important to me. They were, they were good people. Um, and then, you know, I had a, about a 4,000 square foot shop that, um, I had to put in my garage that's, uh, you know, outside my house right now and, uh, move back in there and, and, you know, get rid of the tools that I couldn't, I couldn't, uh, put in there with me, you know, and take that ego hit. And, and it, it was truly a massive ego hit. Yeah. I mean, Lose, losing everything that you think, you know, makes you as a as a man, I guess, in some ways, uh, and then embracing, like learning to embrace where you are. Uh, so you know, you lost this four thousand square foot workshop, and now you're in a garage. Like, uh, I can I can definitely feel you there. I can only imagine what it's like, uh, especially as you've probably built. How long did it build take to build that business up for you? That was a, I was about uh, 13 years into it at that point, um, you know, uh, in its different incarnations. Um, but <clears throat> yeah, I'd been, I'd had people, I'd been back here in the States and had people working with me and, and trying to build something um, for about 13 years, I think it was. <clears throat> yeah. So, you know, you, the success of that entity becomes part of you and you what i did was i started to define myself by the success of that business and then all of a sudden you know you've got you know cops uh trying to serve you paperwork for for money that's owed hmm. um and it happened you know really it probably didn't happen quickly but the the dawning of it the the inevitability of it dawned pretty quick on me what had to happen and boy i tell you what dude it was a tough um it was about six months that i was really in trouble in my own head and what what do you think got you through that oh yo yo 
<laughs> I, you know, um, well, for me, and this this gets a little convoluted, but um, but I began to study uh, internal martial arts, which led to um, some Buddhist uh, philosophy uh, stuff that really became an important part of my life. So that to me was um, kind of a, a pivotal moment for me where I was able to, because I was angry at the same time, as well as being just gutted uh, on a self-esteem level. Um, the, the old anger from my childhood, you know, reared its head again. And, um, and you know, you just, you, you become comfortable. I became more comfortable with the concept of using incoming uh, pressures and attacks to sort of use them as fuel for moving forward instead of letting it beat you down. And that's that's a really interesting take on it because I think a lot of people often have these attacks or you know negative influences and they absorb it rather than you know internalize it then kick it out again. You know, right? I, definitely. Is that is that what? the like mental martial arts uh internal martial arts are doing is that is that can they, can you explain it like that yeah yeah there's kind of a cool idea they have a there's a concept called threading and if you can imagine a thread coming out the top of your head and you're dangling by it right so incoming force comes out at you if you're suspended like that hmm. nothing can take a direct hit on you because you're so free to turn. You see what I'm saying? Oh, yeah. So, so uh, something comes at you and, and you actually, your natural instinct is to turn and then clip it on the way by. Right. So <laughs> as it, as it goes by you, it exposes its, its vulnerable side, its backside. Right. Hmm. And, and that's when you attack it. Hmm. So, I mean, the martial, you know, um, sensibilities get, get, you know, get a bit confusing, but, but yeah, that's kind of the, the concept of being so willing to turn that you take nothing frontally, nothing hits you directly and really bruises you. Huh. Now I, I was saying nothing, but <laughs> you know, that's the ideal, put it that way. Exactly. Right. But I think it's interesting because um, we talk about negative influences and stuff and in our little pre-podcast, I talked about this uh, little thing that I found out the other day that, you know, there was a guy that was experimenting with freezing water uh, crystals. And uh, he, he was freezing water crystals and he realized when there was polluted water, the water crystal was like deformed and out of shape. And so then he continued, and long story short, he, he pumped this water with negative comments uh, and one sample with positive comments. And the uh, positive comments was um, completely normal and the negative comments was completely deformed. And I think that's something to say, the negative energy that comes into our bodies, considering we're, we're such a high percentage of water, how does that not affect us uh, on the metabolic, met, met, I can't even say the word, metabolic uh, level, you know? 
That's fascinating stuff. I, I was very curious when you told me that for the first time. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I mean, you know, I think it goes back to almost a defiant, aggressive positivity. Uh, the way I was raised was this sort of hard, try to be hard, right? Um, and it was kind of a survival mechanism, but my brothers, you know, were, were Dude, hard. I gotta, I gotta throw up. All right. <laughs> Yeah, uh, sorry about that. Um, <laughs> 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 you gastro. <laughs> Dedicated podcaster, that's what I am. If I'd say so. That's hardcore. My wife was just in there going, oh, my God, are you going to go back in? And I'm like, yeah, it's all right. We'll do it. <laughs> I feel much better than I did before. So. <laughs> <laughs> uh. All right. So where were we? <laughs> I don't even remember where we're at. All I could remember is don't spew, don't spew, don't spew. <laughs> I think we were talking we, oh, that's right. We were talking about the water crystals. That's right. right. Yeah, and, and, the, and the effect on, um, you know, the negativity uh, on people and, yeah. Yeah, I, I don't know. I, ca- I kind of have... I kind of feel like we should be aggressively. What, how did I say it before? Um, you know, like uh, aggressively positive, um, uh, becoming the hunter instead of the hunted is, you know, and not seeing things like that as an attack. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So um, I think I mentioned this in one other podcast, you know, my wife often says lead with love. Um, and yeah, I think that's, that's a really is a is a really good way to diffuse a negative situation. Um, and and often when you you lead with love, uh, you change your mindset from the victim mindset to like an adapt and overcome sort of mindset. Right. Yeah. So you know when you when you find yourself hating on other people or saying like blaming other people that it's their fault you know this hasn't happened to you or whatever you know then you're in this victim mindset and and the positive mindset often you know flips that pretty quickly and and allows you to to adapt and overcome things and move forward right yeah and that's one of the things i've always felt like i had an advantage over a lot of people that have uh, developed their skill set in a shop uh, having to do, you know, pretty intricate work on site. Um, you don't know that, you know, there's, there's always wild cards on site. You, you don't know. It's never like the perfect setup. Mm. So, you know, you, you develop a skill set that is, um, you know, working in the Caribbean, you know, they'd say, oh, yeah, your, your trim package is here for this massive house that you have to work on right and you open up the containers and they're literally 
stack full of three by 12 mahogany planks that are, you know, 24 feet long. That's, that's your material. Mm. And you have like less than perfect tooling to work with. And you just got, you got to crank out uh, superior work. And yeah. now that's when you really have to get creative because it's not all perfect. <laughs> you know, you, <laughs> you know, it's to me that that makes you even a more um, dangerous creator, dangerous in the in the proper way. Yeah, I mean, there, there's no such thing as like perfect, is there? Though, let's be honest. Right? Why? Why even? That doesn't. That's not in my world. I'll tell you that. Mm. And and I've often said just the scale of some of the pieces I build runs in my favor because people walk in and they see a 29 foot tall, 19 foot wide piece of furniture and they go, oh, my God, it's perfect. It's way far from perfect, but mm. just the the mass of it and the the design is to like overwhelm you. That's what it's meant to do. Yeah. And it, if it does that correctly, then it's perfect enough. Well, it's interesting because, you know, I worked as a furniture maker uh, for about a year and realized that cutting squares was not really what I wanted to do. But saying that, you know, I got <clears throat> a lot of experience with customers. And I was amazed at what they thought was really good work um, because they really have no idea. They have no clue. A lot of these people can't even, like, pick up a saw and cut a piece of wood. Uh, so, you know, for them, you know, a square box with some veneers on it is really nice work, you know? Right. Mm. Right. It, it's true. I mean, it's, it's the same as, you know, uh, cars, you know, my mechanic could get into my van <clears throat> and tell me everything that's wrong with it. I know that it gets me where I need to go and does exactly what I need it to do. So it's, it's, it's running fine. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. <clears throat> now you talked about um, something that I found very interesting, and um, uh, it was it was a term you used, um, and we're probably you're going to have to probably patent this. I think it's called maker fluency. Yeah, this is kind of something that's just um, I'm just sort of kind of developing in my own mind. Mm. <clears throat> but there was a quote uh, that I read uh, from a photographer in the, um, <clears throat> I think he worked for the Chicago Tribune. Uh, and the, his quote was, fluency is speaking without thinking of the rules. And to me, that I, I immediately just yanked that out of context and put it into maker, maker context. And that is, um, I'm all about creativity. It's, it's my whole thing, but it needs to be grounded in some basic, you know, premises, uh, yeah. safety, uh, technique. But as soon as you can grab those basics, then all of a sudden you're in this whole different world where you don't have to worry about the rules. You can worry about everything that's beyond the rules and that to me is this you know like the heavens opened up and and light shone down because now you're in now you're in a really cool headspace well that's interesting you talk about that because for me 
It seems like a lot of people are trying to get really proficient in one skill, for example. Right. Um, and which is really cool. But at the same time, like for me personally, I don't, I'm not, I'm not excited by that. I'd rather be proficient or semi-proficient, <laughs> uh, you know, in, in 20 different skills than right. just be good at just one. Because for me, for my projects, I want to be able to do what I have in my head. And if I limit myself to that one skill or one trade that I've focused on for the last 10 years, then my work is going to be kind of the same all the time. Right. Um, I'm always pushing myself. I always want to do a little bit. So like the, the newest project I've got going is um, a, a voice-controlled sofa beer fridge. Now, I'm, I've, never nice. done, I've never done voice control. I've never done programming. I've never done robotics. <clears throat> a fairly limited uh, experience from uh, like engineering uh, electronics from ground up. Um, and you know what? I just threw myself in it and <clears throat> I know enough to keep me going. Do you know what I mean? And like th because I know the basics of what I need to know, it's very much, it's a lot easier for me to then flow into the, the next part and, and learn that because the, the basics have taught me basically how, for example, the machine works. If I'm going to, you know, do some welding or how the machine works, I'm going to do some sewing or that sort of thing. And then just knowing how the tool works, it's all about putting shapes and numbers together for me. I think that's exactly it is that let's strip this thing down that we call making. Let's strip it down to its base level. What we're really talking about is observation. Cur let's go curiosity first, observation and learning. And once you can can get your head wrapped around your first skill set, in my opinion, your second, third, fourth, fifth, sixth skill sets become progressively easier to pick up every time because there is a bleed over not only of mathematics and, you know, skills, actual uh, manipulative skills, <clears throat> but there's also the problem solving, which is a constant. There's, you know, all of these things that thread through all of those skill sets. And that's what, in my opinion, really sets creatives apart from consumers. That is, we're constantly breaking stuff down. And to me, I love the term of fluency because there's just, I, I love that idea of just being able to comprehend things on another level. Yeah, you talked about breaking things down and we talked about this before in the pre-podcast and I, I was laughing about it because as so I had a problem with my sofa beer fridge. Um, I didn't know how to fix it and I actively went for a walk in the city to look at things, you know, around. You know, I went to the shopping center and looked at the escalators and I went to the, you know, looked at the elevators and I looked, I was, you know, reverse engineering all these parts actively as I was walking along to see if I could see something that would work for my project. 
And in the end, it happened to be this small thing on the escalator. It was literally just a piece of plastic where the, where the handrail curved down and went in underneath, you know, the escalator. And it was that piece there. I just saw it and went, aha, that's what I need to build so that the cans then can go down on a second level, which I didn't have planned before. (laughs) The world is our catalog. You know what I mean? It's, it's our idea source. So you have the choice to numbly walk around that city or you are actively, you're hunting is what you're doing. Yeah. (laughs) You know, you're pursuing ideas and, and concepts. And to me, that's the, that's the exciting part where you're just, you're, you're kind of half tripping all the time Mm. because, you know, it's like, uh, fireworks are going off around you. You should see my Google photos. I'll go back every once in a while, just a couple of years, random style and see, cause I am constantly taking pictures of stuff like that, you know, just, um, shapes and, um, the shapes of, of dew drops, uh, reflections, all that kind of thing. Um, <laughs> you go back and you, they, to the untrained eye or, <laughs> just a random person my google photo history must look like you know just a madman was uh you know a cat was using the phone or something because <laughs> they're just it's a freak show but you talk about shapes because i i found that really interesting because i suddenly started to realize that like i'm a shape person that's that's how i function as a creative um, you know, I, I think I've talked about this before. Like I, I can jump into a bin and like look at a piece of rubbish and I'll, I'll see like, oh, wait a second, that can be this. You know, I can see it straight away because the way I think about things is always the form and shape of things. And so often when I'm building things, I'm thinking about the different shapes and how they fit together. Um, it goes the same when I'm drawing and and painting if I decide to do that, which I don't do very often, but it's the same. Like if, if I was to do a portrait, I would break it down into shapes, mm-hmm. you know, and then not only just the distinguished figures, but I even break down the shadows into shapes. Right. And so I, that's the way I identify things and that's how my brain processes them. But Justin, you're seeing, you're describing exactly what I was what I was describing in that there's this bleed over mm. from one skill set to the other. So if, if we go down that road, then a next skill set, say sewing is the exact same thing, isn't it? hundred percent. It's, it just, exactly right. it, it's, it's morphed a little bit and evolved a little bit or is it evolved or are we evolved because we can follow that thread throughout the skill sets yeah i mean in my opinion like sewing is more like woodwork uh, than anything else because you have to you have to do joins you know the right. same as same as woodwork you know you, you have to do it a certain way so that it's held together right and it has the right shape and form um that sort of thing and so that bleed across from woodwork to sewing seemed to be a really easy hop for me and 
uh, yet there's a lot of people would say to me, like, how did you even do that seat, like on that soapbox car or right. like how, how, like I couldn't even understand where to start. And I just, I didn't see it as a problem. I always saw mm. it as just like, oh, that's just shapes. And I just, you stick them together. <laughs> yeah, right. And, and again, for me, it's less about the tooling and the, the material, but in your mind, you're, you're joining those shapes way before you do it physically. You're doing it in your mind. Mm. And, um, that to me is both the fun part and the part that makes us weirdos to most people. You talk about tooling. Now, we we are in the maker community in general. We are like a community of tool enviousts. Right, right. <laughs> uh, and you said to me that tools were overrated. Why? Why? Like, because a lot of other people, you know, you see it all the time in in forums and in the group chats. Like, oh, I've got this new bandsaw, or what's the best tool for this and that. And um, I think we're pretty similar. Like, I end up using chisels for screwdrivers and things like that because I'm just useless <laughs> <laughs> and lazy. <laughs> Well, there's that. Well, my my take is this, and this will not not get me any tool sponsorships. That's for sure. <laughs> Neither me. <laughs> but um, yeah, tools will make you more efficient. They will not make you more creative. They will not make you anything that you're not already. Um, obviously, you know, accuracy is important. But I also think without naming any tool companies, there are tool companies that are set up to kind of feed this tool envy thing. Oh, yeah. And, you know, I had a Hungarian cabinet maker scream at me once, you know, complaining about something. He said, you know, why do we need measurement tools that are accurate to within ten thousandths of an inch when we're working with wood? Yeah. Uh, wood will move that much, you know, by the time you move it from the table saw to the planer. Yeah. And, you know, and this is old school guy, you know. Um, mm. So I, I kind of have that, that feeling of um, the, I, I still go back to the, our most important tool is, is what's between our ears. And um, I, I, you know who Jack White from the White Stripes is? Yeah. He, I love a story he told about how he, when he would go on a, a long tour sometimes, he he was afraid of being of starting to be bored and the boredom would at a certain say Minneapolis would he would be bored so that he would have a bad show and not give his best to that particular audience. So what he would do is go to pawn shops um, and buy the worst secondhand guitar that he could find in any given town and play that, commit to playing that for the show that night. So he would have to completely bust his tail to make this guitar that was a total piece of crap sound good 
and he found that he would give some of what he felt were his best performances on the absolute most rubbish tool that he he could find. Oh, I love that so much because, you know, for me, uh, now I've taken on this big sofa beer fridge project, but like I'm already thinking I need to get back to like limiting myself to, you know, tools and materials, like limiting, like for me, it's, it comes on two, two ways. It comes for a price because I can't keep on buying things because I just don't have the money. And two, I'm always more creative when I'm restricted in what I can do because your brain ends up finding these intricate ways of making something. And you, and you end up finding new ways you would never have thought of doing it before because you're limited, limited by your tools or your, or your materials. Yeah, I mean... And I learned this lesson in the Caribbean where you just you did not have the best tools. You were building stuff on site. So there was, you know, guys with bricks and, and cement walking around through your shop. And, you know, nothing was primo. And I, I still to this day am really, really proud of some of the stuff I built under those conditions. You know, that we pulled some stuff out of our butts that was just like, there's no way we should have been able to make that. Hmm. And we did. And um, I'm probably the proudest of some of the stuff I built under, you know, what would be called duress probably. Um, I want to ask you a bit of a weird question. If, if your community went away tomorrow, would you still be creating? <laughs> uh, you know, I was creating for 30 years before the community found me. And if it ended by the time I walked out of this room um, within hours, I, th- th- for me, it's absolutely not a choice, brah. I mean, I, I don't there are times when I wish I could turn it off and I can't. And then as soon as I have that thought that I wish I could turn it off, my next thought is I'm so glad I can't turn this off because, okay, this is a a weird concept, but I feel like it's our responsibility as humans to make ourselves interesting. It's not other people's job to be interested in us. Right. And this is especially true in social media and, you know, all the stuff that the world that we exist in. Mm. So it's our responsibility to make us interesting. This morning, I got a picture from my nephew who is vacationing in Thailand. And he was inside of a, a Buddhist temple and he was, you know, showed me, showed me, uh, you know, what he was doing and stuff. And I immediately looked over his shoulder in this photograph that he sent me and uh, was noticing the designs on the columns behind him. So I'm, of course, say, you know, take some pictures of those for me. Yeah. The fact that he thought of me 
his nearly 60 year old uncle as someone that he knew would be interested in what he was tripping on at the time. Mm. That's, that's a huge compliment. I'll, I take that as a huge compliment because to me, to me, that's him going, Berkey would be fascinated by this. Yeah. You get a lot of that though, don't you? Like, cause the community is so supportive of you <clears throat> and I think they're <clears throat> kind of fascinated by you. Actually. I think a lot of, a lot of people are interacting with you a lot when, whenever you're on there and interacting with them and vice versa, I think in some ways. Yeah. Um, I'm, I'm totally hmm. tripping by, by people, you know, on what they're doing and what they're seeing. I, I dig it. You know, people send me pictures of cathedrals that they're, that they're on, you know, they're on vacation. I mean, think about this. <clears throat> Here I am a dude in central U S out some people would say describe it as out in the middle of cornfields yeah and somebody is on vacation in prague and they're tripping mm. on a cathedral <laughs> on vacation and they're totally engrossed in what they're saying right yeah and they take the time and the effort to shoot me a message with what they're seeing in, in the moment to me I can almost not talk about it to you right now because it almost makes me cry because that to me is, it's just uh, humbling and it's uh, fascinating to me, you know, to have that kind of um, people going, Hey man, Berkey would be tripping on this. Mm. But that's to me the ultimate compliment. <clears throat> I actually think that that's roughly how we, end up starting this podcast together because i think i sent you a message because i was i was at a as a, a what's it called um i want to say the norwegian word but i can't i can't remember the english word uh baptism <clears throat> that's what I was. all right right yeah 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 and uh, i was at a baptism at a, at a new a very old norwegian church now not nothing amazing but i started look because of your work i started looking at the intricacies of the work there you go and i started looking closer and i thought shit berkey's like this work he's doing is truly amazing like and then i think that that's what i i think i sent you a message and i just said hey like this this is awesome and you're awesome <laughs> Something i'm messing with ones. your mind yeah yeah <laughs> Nah, everyone, to me, everyone should just all of a sudden start sending Berkey church pictures <laughs> until he goes insane. Yeah, exactly. That's exactly yeah. what's going to happen now. Yeah. <laughs> no, but I, I just, I, I totally, especially since, you know, I'm, I'm, I don't want to keep harping on the age thing, but you know, I'm of a different uh, generation and, and my generation of people, you know, what I should be doing is kind of, shutting down and, and, um, you know, proclaiming to you how the way that I used to do stuff was way better than the way you're doing it. And <laughs> that seems to be the way that guys my age are going. Yeah. And to me, the fact that I'm accepted by, um, you guys and especially the younger, younger ones, um, man, you know, that's, that's just, I, I love it. And it, and it keeps me away from that 
that luxury of starting to be kind of, you know, set in your ways and all of that. Um, because I don't want to do that. Um, that's not, you know, I, I want to be a 12 year old when I'm 80. Uh, same here. <clears throat> same here. I mean, um, you are, in my opinion, like I said, a pure creative and <clears throat> excuse me. Um, how many, how many days can you go without creating? Uh, three. So, <laughs> well, uh, two and a half. Um, <laughs> Ex explain that, please. How, how has it become two and a half now? Well, it's uh, by the morning of the end of the third day. I, I've got a. I'm. I usually, you know, wake up way <laughs> earlier than sane people do. So um, I. I really. It's enough a part of me that I need to release that somehow and. It, Luckily for me, um, it can be as simple as cooking or um, drawing or, you know, there's several different things I do, you know, if I'm in situations where I can't, you know, crank out a <laughs> the table saw and, and get after stuff. But um, sewing has been really cool for that. But to me, that's just where I'm, I'm free, man. You know, I, I'm without location. I'm without um, limitations. It's just, I mean, I enjoy vacation. And I, if, if especially if I'm international, um, you know, th there's enough input of new and visually, especially visually stunning things or uh, interesting things. Um, you know, photography is a great outlet for me. Um, I, I just, everything is fascinating. And to be able to, um, I just don't have any desire to not create, you know, to me, I don't know. Is it, it's a need, right? Yeah, it really is. It's an oxid. You know, how long do you hold your breath? Hmm. You know, it, eventually um, I described it one time in a seminar that I gave of it's like being a mountain lake you know, your natural state of a mountain lake is to be dead flat, right? So uh, a, a wind comes up, a storm comes up, and you get really agitated. And sometimes even maker meetups can be like this to me. I can just get all like freaked out. But my natural inclination is to return to that dead flat state, that calm, right? So if you can figure out what your natural love is, your natural state, what makes you happiest, just knowing that that is where you always return to your, you know, the Germans, I think they call it Liebfraumilch, uh, mother's milk, mm. you know, um, that to me is, is what, what you've just described is not that I'm trying to go, you know, so long with, without creating something, it's not that it's, it's my natural inclination to make. What, what do you say to those people you hear it quite often? Like, Oh, I haven't been in the shop for like four months. Um, what, what do you, what, how does that make you feel when you, you hear people say things like that? 
being that you've, you're like three days and you have to be doing something. <laughs> well, I mean, you know, <clears throat> you try to, it, the empathetic part of me um, understands that, you know, we're all dealt different hands. And because I know what my natural need is, I have designed a life uh, through trial and error, but I've designed a life that accommodates that, right? Mm. Mm. So a lot of people get, will put themselves into situations and society kind of pushes us in this direction of, you know, spending money or getting into obligations that take up your time and it's a priority, right? So yeah. I drive a 2013 van with a hundred thousand miles on it. If I drove a new $70,000 Chevy truck, I would have different demands on my time in the shop. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So that kind of thing to me, the first thing that crosses my mind is if it's that high of a priority for you to create, you need to make the decisions that allow you to do that more consistently. Uh, I definitely get that because uh, that's something me and Kristen definitely did. You know, like, <clears throat> like we we got problems with our car at the moment, and we're like, should we buy a new car? Because it just keeps on problems, problems. And like, no, like we can't afford a new car. Like we just got to repair the one that we got and just stick with it because buying a new car would make what I'm doing essentially stop because financially. I would have to go back a hundred percent to to right. to make sure that those bills are paid, and, right. I, and that's something both Chris and I don't want. You know, we are, we are choosing the life to be more creative and do the things we really love to do and have a more joyous life. Um, I don't want to be tied down by society's or the status quo's you know rules and regulations of that I should have. A new car every five years and you know make my house look all pretty and have designer furniture and and all this bullshit you know i like that's not for me like right my value comes from when i get time to just start doing things with my hands yeah and i you know for me because of losing the company you know i need to look back on that and the person that i was at that point, I just wasn't happy. I, I wasn't, I mean, I wasn't happy in my personal life. I wasn't happy in my creative life. There, there was nothing that was right. Hmm. And, and again, I can't, I'm not going to judge anybody in the world. You, you do you, but for me, all I can do is be true to, again, trying to find that natural state. And if your natural state is just, you need to create, you create a situation where you can do that max out. Yeah, when there's sacrifice, right? You know, you there are sacrifices. Have, you can't have everything. You can't have, you know, all the money in the world and decide that you're not, you know, you're just going to be creative and, and make stuff in your garage. Like that doesn't happen yeah. like that. That you choose the line of work you want. You know, if it makes you happy, then you got to kind of understand that you're not going to have the same things as if you had that big engineering job or that big office job. Right. 
Mm. Right. I have a cousin who's got this cool truck. It's got cameras all over it and satellite navigation and TV and leather. And I mean, it's a cool truck. <laughs> I have no desire. I don't want it. Yeah, neither me. I got, I'm, uh, I'm cruising around in my Citroen, Citroen Berlingo and it's, <laughs> it's perfect. Like it's perfect. Yeah. It's, yeah. I need something to haul stuff in and take my dog out to the country for sunrises. That's really what I need. Yeah. <laughs> you, that's what you need. You need to live and breathe creativity. That's that works for me. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I, I think it works for me too. And and I think every time I end up thinking it doesn't, it's I'm just lying to myself because there's other outside influences coming in uh, to sort of try to influence me out of that. So sure, sure. Family's yeah. the, the the biggest one. I mean, I've you know for a long time I was. Um, trying to live up to family expectations that I, you know, have a certain level of education, certain level of income, um, you know, and then just beyond those expectations, um, if you can get past those, you realize they're not what make you happy. Um, all of a sudden you kind of, this big field opens up and you go, wow, cool. This is, this is cool out here. I think the interesting thing is often not all parents, but at least for my sake, you know, the, the, the realization that my parents don't know what the hell's going on. You know? <laughs> yeah. And so why should, why should I listen to them? You know, like I, what, what makes me, what makes them so wise realistically when you see that they're just following like sheep, the rest of them, you know, and, Often for me, like I'll look at some of my my parents' decisions, and they'll they're living with regret, you know. And I think, fuck that! I don't want to be that person in in my in that age. Like I, I want to say that I bloody tried and I failed, but you know, I tried. Yeah, it's well. Here's the thing that I came to a realization of, and I won't I won't lay specifics, but but. Throughout my life, there was a person who I wanted to please more than anything in the world. And what I realized is that I could never quite meet those expectations. And for many, many years, I took that because I wasn't good enough to meet those expectations. But what I realized eventually was that I couldn't meet those expectations because they kept moving because that person needed me to not be able to meet those expectations. Does mm. that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. So they needed me not to be able to succeed. And, and as soon as I was able to see that for what it was, it did two things. One, it freed me up, but it also made me stop being mad at that person and really kind of look at them kind of it was kind of sad yeah that, that they needed to do that mm. and but it was very very freeing because you know it, it's cool when there's no fences right yeah 
it feels yeah well like that word freedom you know yeah mm. that's that's really what it's what it's about yeah i would i would say i'm still working on that you know for me personally so am i you know so you know you always get everyone gets sucked back into it you know yep. and starts having doubts like literally today i'm like i started i started like emailing some people some bigger people you know mm-hmm. that i like uh, like properly out of my league and i started like doubting myself like who the fuck are you to like start emailing these people to interview right. them like uh and you know I, I struggled with that for a couple of hours today i was like hold up like you 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 bit the <laughs> bullet and you actually did it so you're like right what you got to do is just just wait to see if they say yes or no so yeah yeah and isn't that weird? Because at, at some level, you're you're a, in your own head. You're like an eight year old kid, and <laughs> you know, trying to get to the grown ups table at, at you know Christmas dinner. Yeah, it's yeah. like if I could only be at the grown ups table, you know. And hey, man, you, you know, have a go. And what's? I mean, it sounds cliche, but what in the heck is the worst that can happen, right? Hundred percent. Like, and I've got the I've got the infamous Andy Berkey on here now, so you know, pretty much. <laughs> yeah, that's a step back. <laughs> <laughs> I no, but ask... really people, you know, people when they see some of the gothic work, right? They say, yeah. "How how do you how do you put a price to that?" Because that that work all all has to be estimated up front. Yeah, and basically what I do is I go back to how bad can this hurt? And then I work forward from there. How yeah. badly can it go sideways? Yeah. And then, and then move forward. And that's kind of a backwards. Uh, it sounds very negative, but it's all I'm doing is sounding the bottom. I'm, I'm seeing how deep the pool is to make sure that I can still find, you know, where the bottom is and then to make sure I don't drown. Right. So that to me is a, and basically I, I'm still kind of trying to, there's no hole except for the one in my head, the black hole in there. There's nothing that I haven't been able to work my way out of, you know, it hasn't always been fun, but um, yeah, it's, it's amazing how inventive and creative you get when you have to, or you're dead meat. <laughs> <laughs> you're, you're now 56. Is that right? 58, I think 57 or 58. Yeah. Well, you're 50. Let's call you 58 years young. Um, you know, for a lot of people, like you said, in your age, they're like winding things down now. Um, and I wondered, you know, if you could leave some sort of legacy behind with what you're doing now, what, what would that be? I would like to leave behind a community of people that hopefully at some level I inspired, let's say I drop dead tomorrow, and they would almost feel an obligation to keep making, to keep creating, 
and to keep seeing the world differently than the masses. That to me would be on a karmic level, um, all that I could ask for. You know what I mean? Yeah. It wasn't too long ago, dude, that, that I thought the craft was dead. I was pissed at the craft. I owed the craft absolutely nothing because it had taken away, you know, uh, healthy parts of my body. And all I'd ever done is make a living. And um, the maker community specifically jerked me out of that mindset and gave me back, like I said, the, the love again of, of creating and making. And if I can take all of you lot and just give you a healthy shove into confidence and um, observation and just, just basically take you and shove you forward that to me would be if i could be remembered like that that's all i could ever hope for hmm. well that's really that's pretty cool like i i i would love that for myself but i think i don't know what my legacy is yet i haven't worked that out yet um but you have then, time <laughs> you have time that's exactly what i was going to say I, like i think i've got time to work that out so and i would say this if you ask me that question in a year, I hope it'll be a little bit different than my answer will be a little different than what it is today. Huh. Yeah. Because I insist from myself that I keep in evolving. Yeah. And, and anybody that chooses to travel along with me, um, I make the same demand on you. Hmm. Um, no, nothing more than evolve. And if you see anything cool, let me know about it. <laughs> <laughs> All right, man. Let's go into random question. Random question. Here we go. Uh, <laughs> I, I'm laughing already because I just, I don't know what your answer is going to be for this. So I'm, I'm just intrigued. All right. <laughs> What do you want to be when you grow up, Andy? Ain't doing it. There's no <laughs> way. I refuse. Nope. I'm not growing up. I love it. I actually find Done. it interesting because a lot, a lot of older people, you tell them, like when you talk to them about, you know, their mindset, they, a lot of them don't believe they're like that old. They don't feel that old in their mind, right? Right. You know, <laughs> They feel like they're in their twenties still, even though they're in their sixties. You know, yeah. my dad is classic. You know, he, he's in his seventies now, and he still thinks he's thirty years old. Like he's just cruising. He, just, <laughs> he got two. He got two new knees, and he's off. His guys. He's just, he's, he's off. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> now, to me, it it is a, it is a true. And it's this again sounds very simple, but that's kind of my belief system. To, to keep things as stripped down and as simple as possible. And that's this. I want to see the world through the eyes of an eight-year-old. And that, that doesn't happen naturally, and it doesn't happen easily. It takes work. But I want to de-evolve as I continue to, to age. I want to de-evolve into an eight-year-old. So, you know, there it is. I'm not growing up. That's awesome. Hell with that. 
You're... Help! <laughs> That's so awesome. You can't make me. <laughs> when I grow up, I want to be an eight-year-old. <laughs> exactly. So I guess I just did answer the question. There you yeah. go. What do you What do you want to be when you grow up? I want to be an eight-year-old. <laughs> all right man story time story time she stared at the gown and thought yes this is something my husband would wear let's spin it ah i you know you gave me this one and i have uh, this one's a fairly recent one um i did i had the privilege of doing uh locally a friend of mine uh built canvas stretchers for uh, an internationally recognized artist, uh, painter here in town. And I knew this guy's reputation. Uh, he had been, his name is Harold, Harold Greger. You can look him up. Just an amazing, amazing artist. Um, but he's quite the hard case. Everybody in the art community around here is incredibly afraid of him. I'm, I'm not going to say afraid, but just like in awe and, um, would walk on uh, eggshells around him, right? So my friend built stretchers and frames for him uh, for years, and he needed to move to uh, Arizona and said, "You, I, I want to pass you off to Harold as the person to build his frames. So we, um, we developed uh, a five-year relationship that was built on mutual respect and absolute um, lack of disrespect for each other. In other words, you know, I, I didn't give him any quarter as far as I, I'm not going to be disrespectful. But on the other hand, hey, man, you know, we all have two legs and we put pants on the same, you know, and every once in a while we put them on backwards in the in the dark of the morning. Um, well, I, I lost him a year ago, November, he passed away. He was in his late eighties and, um, you know, I'm outside of the art community locally. I don't, I don't, uh, really associate or anything like that. So I went to the funeral and it was mainly, um, art people from the local universities and all of that. And I heard a story that just to me was the best. He apparently was teaching a class and a very, very talented, highly skilled student who was pretty much the star of, of the show came in and needed to talk to him at one point. And she told him that she couldn't find inspiration and that she was struggling and she couldn't paint. And he turned around and he ignored her. So she proceeded to re-describe because she felt that he, he may not have heard her, that she didn't, wasn't feeling it, so to speak, wasn't, couldn't paint. She had a, an artist block, as it were. And he turned around to her and he said one word, and that was paint. And he turned back around. And she proceeded to explain to him again about the troubles that she was having. And he told her one word, paint. This went on apparently for about 10 minutes where she would continue to explain 
obviously he wasn't understanding her issues. And he would turn around every time and say one word, paint. And to me, this not only, I sat there and cried because it not only perfectly described this person, but he was also from the grave speaking directly to me. And I want to put this out there for all of your listeners. And that is make. Just make. Stop thinking about it. Stop dreaming about it. Stop looking at tool catalogs. Make stuff. As often as you can, as much as you can, make crap. Because the only way you don't make crap is by making crap. And uh, I, that story for me encapsulates a five-year relationship and a, and a man that I massively respect mm. in one word, hmm. make, paint. make, make, or paint, you know, create <laughs> just, just there, there's only, it's never going to be perfect. You're right. never going to be truly inspired. Stop that rubbish. Those are fences that you're putting around your own world. Jump over the fence and get out there and run naked through the pasture. You know what I mean? Yeah, you just have to look out for that. You know, you don't get your junk caught in anything on a barbed wire fence. Yeah, that is, yeah, you do yeah. need to be, you know, with some limitations. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's, that's an awesome story. And like, I think, I mean, it's so simple, but how often do we not think about things like that? Right. You know, just that's. I think we tend to make it, I think our egos want us to make it more complicated than it is. That's, and then we need to defend our egos, right? Always. Always. Yeah. So, yeah, to me, that's overthinking is the worst thing that we can do to ourselves, I think. Well, talking about overthinking, um, <laughs> let's go uh, to hack attack. Okay. Not that that's overthinking, but <laughs> I was trying to find a segue, but it didn't work. <laughs> this is Hack Attack. I will not apologize for this bad intro. Uh, yeah, any any ha- hacks, uh, tips, tricks that you want to pass on to the listeners? Yeah, I mean, the biggie, and I shared this with Gareth Branwin. He wrote a book a couple of, uh, a year or so ago called Tips and Trips, Tips and Tricks from the Shop, I think it was, um, Gareth Branwin. Mm. And it's it's this concept that for me came out of dealing with historic material, and that is pre-making mistakes. And what that means is before you make a decision of how you want to handle a material. And especially in my case, you know, material that's not replaceable. Um, Think quickly about the ways it can go wrong and then reverse that, roll that right back up and figure out which way, which one of those ideas is the safest, right? So deconstruct it all the way, worst case scenario. I'm going to blow this up because, you know, there was a kickback or something like that. So all of this, and it happens very quickly. But when I had employees, we used to do this out loud. 
um, right before we would start, you know, some sort of operation that would be, you know, sensitive, I would say, okay, you know, where do we go wrong here? Go. And the guys would all say, you know, we would drop it. Okay. How do we deal with that? Uh, you know, you're handling a old stained glass panel. Okay. The wind might catch it. Um, you know, the structure of the, of the inside might, might start bowing and then, and then fail. Mm -hmm. Okay. So how do we deal with that? So you go, you deconstruct it to, oh my God, this is as bad as it can get. And then bring it all the way back before you start the physical action. You mentally have already screwed up all the ways that you can. And, and now you're down to um, hopefully, you know, a, a good plan for dealing with it when you actually uh, are handling the material. That's, that's cool because that reminds me of the things, something I learned in the, in the military. It was the five P's. Prior preparation prevents piss poor performance. There it is. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It, so, it's yeah. I mean, it's so simple, but uh, it's amazing how many people just go straight in guns blazing and sure. <laughs> don't think through things through. So, yeah. All right. I've, I've got, a, I don't know if this is going to be a section or something, but I'm, I'm trying this out at least anyway, but I'm, I'm calling it inspiration station because that's the only word I could find in my head at the time that rhymed with inspiration. Um, <laughs> but, <laughs> and uh, this is just basically to name drop um, because it's always good to get uh, people out uh, to find the podcast and right. also, um, you know, it's nice also to get shout outs. Uh, you know, when people mention me in things, um geez my dishwasher is just going off sweet <laughs> <laughs> clean dishes um yeah uh yeah so uh, you know whenever people are you know mentioning me in a podcast or or tagging me in the post it's always nice so i think that's why one, one another reason why i want to do the inspiration station sort of sure. uh, section there so is there anyone that inspires you and and uh, yeah. why well definitely i i'm you know, I consume a lot of maker content and repeatedly I'm drawn to two types of people. One are people that I just admire the tenacity of their craft and the, both the skill level and the tenacity and just the, the commitment, right? Of over years, obviously. I have that section that I totally admire. And then I admire this off the leash, out of left field creative guys. Hmm. So like, like just off the leash, dude, the, the first guy that comes to my mind currently and you know, and this changes obviously, but Jake Waldron, the maker monster, right? Yeah. This guy makes, puts fur on his bandsaw and makes it into like this crazy monster looking thing and it's perfect it it's what you, i can never look as a result of seeing what he does i can never look at stuff without putting googly eyes on it and then seeing it as some sort of a pseudo dinosaur you know what i mean <laughs> I, I totally admire how his brain works it, it's he just sees stuff with fresh eyes yeah um i i truly admire him on the other end of that spectrum, 
Uh, I don't know if you're familiar with Jennifer Bauer. Uh, I think she's on Instagram. She doesn't make YouTube videos, but uh, Jay Bauer Engraving on Instagram. Yeah. She engraves metal by hand and does this absolutely stunning scroll work. I've seen it. It's beautiful. It's it's so out of control. But the thing that she and I have gotten to know each other pretty well, actually. And the thing that I admire about her is she too is a believer in sort of this full contact creativity. She, she's all over the chart with what she, you know, she's painting right now, gold paint on a black letter press. That's, it reminds me of the, you know, those brilliant old uh, sew, sewing machines it's fantastic stuff and she can, you know, she does all sorts of stuff, but it's a, it's a full life um, experience for her, but her skill level is way, way off the chart. And her husband, you know, makes clocks from, you know, sheet brass. And so as a couple, they're, they're kind of a power couple, you know, I think of creativity, Hmm. but I admire both ends of that spectrum. And, um, wow, that's, there's, I mean, there's a thousand people I should shout out and, but those are the first two that popped into my mind today. Yeah. Awesome. All right. Well, let's wrap it up. Um, it's been a good podcast. There's been some, there's been some spewing, uh, (laughs) you don't get that every time. Uh, no, you don't. Uh, and even from your host, like your host, not not the guest, it's uh, pretty funny. (laughs) Um, is there anything you want to leave uh, our audience with, uh, considering it's been a long podcast? We've talked about right. a lot of things. Um, you know, is there something you just want to make sure they cemented in their heads? I'll tell you what. Uh, I'm an old punk rock guy. I think we've talked about that before. So I'll give you a Henry Rollins quote that pretty much encapsulates everything I'd like to leave with them. Yeah, and that and that goes like this. There's no such thing as spare time. There's no such thing as free time. And there's no such thing as downtime. All you've got is lifetime. Go. Let's fucking go. Let's move, people. <laughs> <laughs> Love it. I oh, So good. Makes me, makes me just want to get off the computer and go in the workshop. I know. I <laughs> and, haven't and, been, you know, I've been sick there too. myself. I've been sick myself, so I'm like, you know, antsy is all get out right now. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Uh, just to, just to, just in case people are not following you for some reason, uh, where can they find you? Uh, I'm, I'm most active on Instagram uh, at, at the current time under uh, Andy Berkey, B-I-R-K-E-Y. And um, I'm also on YouTube. I haven't made anything in a while, but I'm, I'm hoping to get back to it. And, uh, I'm on Facebook too, but um, mainly hidden in the maker groups because the gen pop is becoming scary on Facebook. So, <laughs> so but yeah, it's uh, I'm not hard to find. Awesome. All right. Well, um, thanks very much, Andy, for spending this time with us. I hope everyone got uh, something out of this podcast. I know I enjoyed both our pre-podcast and our podcast now. Um, much appreciate the time uh, you spent with me, Andy. Um, thanks everyone for listening. Um, 
please if you have any feedback on the podcast or you have any um, comments or anything please drop me a dm on instagram at garage avenger um, until next time guys uh, keep on making mistakes get out there and just fucking do it all right guys catch you on the flip side thanks guys good times <laughs> all right we're done sweet that was oh. fun